go right to our time in the Word. Um, Psalm 15, we're going to study that tonight. Psalm 15, just a very short psalm, but it has a lot of things in it. Song that we just sang, I, I am resolved, certainly has has a connection with this particular song. Um, let's read it. I'll, I'll read and you follow along. Psalm 15 and verses one through five. Lord, who shall abide in thy tabernacle? Who shall dwell in thy holy hill? He that walketh uprightly and worketh righteousness and speaketh the truth in his heart. He that backbiteth not with his tongue nor doeth evil to his neighbor, nor taketh up reproach against his neighbor, in whose eyes a vile person is contemned, but he honoreth them that fear the Lord. He that sweareth to his own hurt, and changeth not. He that putteth not out his money to usury, nor taketh reward against the innocent. He that doeth these things shall never be moved. All right, let's pray, shall we? Father in heaven, we thank thee that we can be here tonight to study thy word, and we pray that blessing, and even lower just a few in number tonight, that we might all take something home with us this evening that will be a help to us in our lives. We are very thankful that we can fellowship with Thee, Lord, that we can walk with Thee, and we believe that this verse of Scripture, the first verse, talks about fellowship with Thee on earth, and then fellowship with Thee in heaven, which will be ultimately our destination, our dwelling place, but even now we can we can actually walk in a way that is a heavenly walk here on this earth. And so help us, dear Lord, especially in these days in which we live, that we might be a testimony, that we might be an example, and show by our lives what it means to truly be a child of God. And we pray these things in Christ's precious name. Amen. As I said this morning, um, the word character is not found in the Bible. I kind of gave a little advertisement about the message tonight. But anyway, um, the word integrity um, appears at least 15 times. Now, the word integrity is not found in this chapter, but here is a concise definition or description of what a person of integrity, what their life will look like. Um, I want you to please keep your place in Psalm 15. Let's turn to John 15 for just a moment. I want us to look at some things that Jesus said when he was on the earth. Um, the psalmist David asked the question, Who shall abide in thy tabernacle? Who shall dwell in thy holy hill? And the Lord Jesus used the word abide in John 15. And so starting there in verse 1, and the Lord um, used the example of the keep a vineyard, keeping a vineyard, and caring for it. And of course, the people of Israel were very much familiar. Shepherding and husbandry were two of the, the biggest occupations there when Jesus was on the earth. And so he says, I am the true vine, you know, the real vine, and my father is the husbandman. So Jesus there pictures a farm, a vineyard, and Jesus is the vine. He's the one that provides the nourishment, the, the, the food, and so on, the water. And his, his father's husband. He is the tender. He is the one who works 
the vineyard. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now are ye are clean through the word that I have, which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. So there's the third thing. So Jesus Christ is the vine, he's the root, and the stem, and all that, and we are the branches. And so the Father is the farmer, he's the caretaker. Okay? He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, in other words, as a dead branch, and is withered. And men gather them, and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. All right, now... <clears throat> Integrity means blamelessness or innocence. Um, honesty and faithfulness would also be considered synonyms. Right? Somebody has said, reputation is what people think you are. Character is what God knows you are. Someone also has divine character as what you are when no one is looking. Right? Uh, in the passage I just read here in John, the Lord spoke about abiding him five or six times in this little passage. He used the word abide. The word abide, as it's used here, means to stay, to remain, to dwell, to abide, to be in a state that begins and continues. It would also include the idea of total dependence upon God for everything we need to live for Him in this world. So the branches, they draw from the, the, you know, from the roots up through the vine, into the branches, the nourishment, so on, and the fruit is born on the branches. So the fruit is actually produced through the roots and through the vine. And so to abide in Christ means to dwell with Him, it means to depend on Him, and it means to draw from what He provides in the Word of God and through the Holy Spirit. Now let's go back to Psalm 15 because the same word is used there, but yet it has a slightly different meaning. It's very interesting and significant that the two words in Psalm 15:1, the word abide and the word dwell, are not the same. All right? And so let's go back. We have Psalm 15 starts with a question. And I've, I've labeled this a pertinent question. And so the psalmist is asking, Lord, of course, Lord there is Jehovah or Yahweh, uh, the Lord overall, this is the highest word, the the most majestic word in the scripture to describe God, the eternal one, the self-existent one, the life-giving one. And so therefore, he can be the vine because he's the life, he's the self, self-existent, self-sustaining one who gives life to his people. So the question, two parts to the question, all right? Number one, who shall abide in thy tabernacle? Now, from, and from what I can gather and study from Scripture, tabernacle always refers to the earthly place. The tabernacle in the Old Testament was very important. The tabernacle was, um, was mobile. It was portable. Right? 
they could move it from place to place. And then, of course, they built it while they were traveling through the wilderness, and so they would stop. And you remember in the Old Testament that when the cloud moved, or in the daytime, or the pillar of fire by night, the people journeyed. If the, if the cloud rested on the tabernacle, or the fire rested on the tabernacle, the people of Israel camped, or they, you know, they sojourned, and they stopped, and they rested, and so on. And the Bible says in, in the book of Numbers and that, that if it stayed for a day, a week, a month, or a year, they, they didn't journey, they, they stopped, and they stayed. And so, so the tabernacle speaks of a temporary and a portable type of a place of worship. And God said, I will dwell. And in that tabernacle, God commanded them to build a sanctuary so that he could dwell with them. Now, so the word abide is the idea of to live as an alien, to dwell as a stranger. And so the abiding in thy tabernacle is a picture of a child of God in fellowship with God as a pilgrim, as a stranger on earth. It's never meant to be permanent. Then the word dwell here means to dwell, to live among, to set up a dwelling. Now this speaks of a more settled, more permanent life than abiding. Now, and when the Bible refers to God's holy hill, so it sometimes does refer to Jerusalem here on earth, but more often it refers to God's dwelling, his holy hill in heaven, his throne. And so this is talking about or it's, it's, it's the idea of a, of a, fellow, a remind, remaining constant fellowship with the Lord that's based in heaven and is permanent. Okay, once we become a child of God, we're a child of God forever. All right. So there's a difference between um, this tabernacle and the dwelling in the holy hill of God. Now the tabernacle was a worship place on earth. And just like today, we have buildings. We talked this morning in the morning message about Christ being in the synagogue. And there were synagogues all over Israel because it was too far for everybody to travel on the Sabbath to go all the way to Jerusalem. And so they had synagogues. Jesus went to one in Nazareth and there were synagogues all over. And even when Paul started his missionary journeys, there were synagogues in many of the uh, Gentile cities. And so just like in those days... Um, it was a very important thing that the life of the people of Israel revolved around the tabernacle and later the temple. Okay? Now, there is a difference. Even today, I thought about this as I was studying and this is what I came up with, even today there are people who attend church and there are people who are in the church. Okay, there's a huge difference. Let me give you, let me illustrate by going to Psalm 92. Um, Psalm 92 there are people, and I mean even people who attend basically every Sunday, um, and they come, and they go, and they're here, and some of them are members, and they, they put money in the plate, and they're here for an hour, and they leave, and you don't see them again till next Sunday. And they're basically the ones who take up space. They don't really do anything to help the church. Now, Psalm 92 is a wonderful, it's Old Testament, but I'll tell you, it could be New Testament because of the precious truth that it gives. 
right? Psalm 92, starting in verse 12, the righteous shall flourish like the palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. And the cedars of Lebanon were considered in that day to be the most majestic trees. When Solomon was building a temple, they brought wood. They had, they had wood floated from Lebanon in that area. Those that be planted, okay, here's the thing. There's a difference between attending church and being planted. Those that be planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. Of course, it's talking about spiritually. Those that be planted in the house of the Lord. Um, and of course, the house of the Lord in the Old Testament was the tabernacle, and then it was the temple. According to Ephesians 2 and according to 1 Timothy 3, the house of God in the New Testament is the local church. And so there's, there's, there's doctrine, there's principles that can be applied um, to, the, to the New Testament, to the life of a believer. And to be planted. So to be planted is not just coming and sitting and attending, but it's the idea that our life that our life revolves around the church and the teaching and, and what we get there. It's supposed to sustain us through the week along with what we study uh, in the Word of God by ourselves. Now I want you to notice verse 14 says this, they shall still bring forth fruit in old age. They shall be fat and flourishing. And that simply means fat there means full of sap. In other words, well fed spiritually and of course flourishing is the idea of full of leaves, full of fruit, growing, healthy, all those kinds of things. Now why? Verse 15, to show that the Lord is upright. He is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in him. Now take that just a little step further. There, is, there are In the New Testament, there are passages such as Acts 13.1 that mention men who were, who were in the church at Antioch. Right? And those are the men like Saul and Barnabas, the different ones that God called to serve the Lord. So the question is, and I know the answer for us here tonight, do you really attend church or are you in the church? All right? Is church a vital part of your life? And obviously it is for those who are here this evening. So our, our, our life should revolve around this. All right? So back in Psalm 15, so the first question uh, David asked is, who shall abide in thy tabernacle and who shall dwell in thy holy hill? Right. And so, that's the question. Two questions. Who's going to have this earthly, you know, this pilgrimage with the Lord, but who's going to have their roots or their, their conversation in heaven with the Lord. And the Colossians says we are to set our affection on things above, not on things on the earth. Alright, now, the way this psalm is set up, verse 1 asks the question. Verses 2 through 5 are God answering the question. Now God obviously led David to, to write this, but it's set forth, again, as if the Lord himself is answering excuse me, the question, and he's, he's, he's answering, who? Who will do this? Who shall abide? Who shall dwell? And here's the Lord's answer. Um, 
So verses 2 to 5 could be looked at as God's reply to verse 1. Verses 2 through 5 describe the heart and life of a child of God who abides and dwells. So very simply, let's go through these things. Um, There are five of them. There are five qualities or characteristics of the person who is in fellowship with God. Like the Bible says of Enoch, Enoch walked with God. Here's what here's what a person. This is what how a person's life works, looks if he if he walks with God. All right. Number one, he lives a righteous life. Look at verse two. He that walketh uprightly. The word walk here is in a spiritual sense, and it means how a person conducts himself, how he behaves. What his lifestyle is. Here it says uprightly. Uprightly is the idea of walking in fellowship with God, desiring to please Him, living up to God's standard for a believer. Alright, that's one. Number two, worketh righteousness. So he does that which is right, pleasing in God's sight, and speaketh the truth in his heart. So the truth of God is rooted in his heart, And so what he speaks comes from his heart. So a righteous life, which is controlled by a righteous heart. So if we're we're walking with God, if we're abiding and dwelling, it will show itself in a righteous life. And in these days, that will certainly stand out. Just a a couple weeks ago, I was talking to um, Kevin after church. And he was talking about how in the business world, um, you are, you're old, like especially uh, officers and so on in companies, they are told to do whatever they have to do to get what they want from the customers and from people. And so basically he was saying this, they're trained to be dishonest. They're trained to lie and uh, so on. And I was talking to somebody who's, who's in law enforcement and they were talking, and they, I think it was Joe Rossini, and they were talking about how they made a promise to God. They're never going to lie because cops are taught to lie. They're trained to lie to get what they want when they're investigating. And he said, I'll never do that. And so, so again, if we're going to live this way, if we're going to be honest and upright and do what's right, we're going to stand out more and more. We need to do that. We need to do that. Um, honesty and integrity seems to be a thing of the past. We, we need, to, we, we need to, to go against that, the trend of today. So a righteous life, number two, a wholesome tongue. He that backbiteth not with his tongue. Let's take, there's three things in this verse. Let's take each one separately. He that backbiteth not with his tongue. Backbiting is simply the idea of talking behind another's back, slandering one's neighbor. Right? So, you know, we're not supposed, we've got to watch out for that. It's so easy to do. You know, we can fall so easily, we can fall victim to that. And I heard somebody say one time, well, it's not gossip, it's true. Well, it doesn't matter. If the person's not there to defend themselves or answer for themselves, we're not, we're not supposed to say things, all right? We're not supposed to backbite. I, when I see that backbite, I, I picture a dog nipping at somebody's heels. That's the picture that the Word of God paints here. Um, no, secondly, nor doeth evil to his neighbor. Evil is wickedness, harm, hurtful things. Right? Never should do that. That's, that's, very, that's very, very clear. 
Then thirdly, nor taketh up a reproach against his neighbor. All right, nor taketh up. In other words, doesn't receive it, doesn't pass along. And the word reproach here is the idea of uh, disgrace, contempt, scorn, or insult. So we don't we don't join in when someone is being reproached or reviled. We stand against that. We don't do it. We don't we don't allow ourselves to get to fall into that kind of a situation. All right, we we, we stand against it. Now the Bible says that we are to debate our cause with the neighbor himself. So we need to watch out for that. There's a lot of that going around today. Um, always has been. Um, I was reading in the Psalms the other day where it talks about the tongue of the wicked go off all through the earth. In other words, he's the person who he just slanders everybody. You know, he's got a story to tell about everybody. And, and we're, we're, as Christians, we're just not supposed to do that. All right. Um, number three, there is a hatred for evil. Verse four says, in whose eyes... A vile person is contemned. Vile here means despicable, contemptible, because of sinfulness. Contemned means despised, contemptible. This means to view the lifestyle of such a person as God does, not to condone or approve of his or her sin. Now we understand that this, in this day, evil is spoken of as good. Good is spoken of as evil. And um, people are, are set forth in our society today by the media as heroes. Because, and, and they're involved in all kinds of wicked and vile um, lifestyles. Um, as, God, we, as God does, we are to condemn evil behavior, immorality, you know, all, all the wickedness that goes on today. The drinking and the drunkenness, the drugs, the immorality, all the, all the stuff that is being held up today. Um, even, you know, greed, selfishness are being, especially in the business world again, they are commended as being what we need to do. I just saw something the other day about somebody who talked about, I mentioned the message, it's amazing. I saw something the other day where somebody's talking about the working their way up the corporate ladder, climbing to the top. And they might have to step on somebody's fingers as they as they go up. And you know, you hear expressions like dog eat dog world, look out for number one, you know, the three most important people in the world, me, myself, and I. You know, that sort of attitude, that kind of that kind of conduct is foreign um, to the word of God. And in, in Matthew chapter 20, the Lord Jesus got after his disciples about debating, competing, who's gonna be the leader. And Jesus said, I'll tell you what, if you, you want to be the top, then you go to the bottom. Right? If you want to be great, then you be servant. And of course, Jesus was the example when he said, the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. So, again, and, and like God, and sometimes it's hard, I know that, we need to separate our hatred for the sin from our hatred for the sin, because God, Jesus, loves the sinner, but he hates the sin. And imagine again just that. When the, just the Lord Jesus, think about the, the trial that it was for him to simply walk among sinful men and women every day of his life and observing the things that he did. And he was able to separate his love for sinners. 
from his hatred for their sin. And he never, ever, not one time on earth did he ever condone sin. Okay. He always stood against it. But when somebody wanted forgiveness or mercy, he was always there to give it to them. All right? And then the second part of that is this. It says, in whose eyes, in other words, we look at vileness as vileness. In whose eyes a vile person is contemned, but he honoreth them that fear the Lord. And so, you know, he, he's, he lifts up those that fear God, and he exalts the fear of the Lord. Again, we need to do that in our society in which we live today, and just really encourage the people of God. Give them honor, esteem them well. All right? All right, that's three. Number four. Well, number four was honors God. Sorry. All right, number three, number four is honor, honoring godliness. Okay? So ver, first part of verse four was hatred for evil. The second part is honoring those that fear God. So honoring godliness. And then number um, five is this. He that sweareth to his own hurt and changeth not. That means that what that is saying in effect is he keeps his promises. He honors his word. Alright? Um, so he keeps his word even if he loses or suffers hurt for his integrity. Now we may not be ever in a position. For this verse, we might, we, we may not. And this would be, for example, a person, a Christian who's in business, and they're they're building houses, and they give an estimate, and they say to somebody, "I will do this project for ten thousand dollars," and they find out it's going to cost them eleven thousand. Now, the worldly person would say, "Look, I'm sorry, I need two thousand more dollars. I need three thousand more dollars. Things didn't work out like I thought." Well. What this is saying is that a person who honors God will settle for the $10,000 and eat the loss, right? So that means, obviously, we need to be careful. We need to be, you know, wise in what we're doing. Now, I tried to think of biblical examples. There's one, at least, and that's Joshua. When In Joshua chapter 9, they, Joshua got fooled by the men of Gibeon. Because they, they, were, they were in the process of conquering the land and their enemies were falling before them. And the men of Gibeah came up with a plan, right? So they put on old rotten clothes and they brought moldy bread and their wineskins were full of holes. And they came and their beards were grown, they were dirty. And they came to Joshua and they said, When we heard about you, we started on a journey. We're, and, and Joshua said, well, Where are you from? Oh, we're from, we're from way far away. I mean, look at this bread. It was fresh when we left. And these wineskins were new. Our clothes were new. And we came all this way. And we traveled. And this is what happened to our stuff. And Joshua said, you know, maybe you're not. Maybe you're trying to fool us. Maybe you're not from far. Oh, we're from a far country. And so the Bible says that they, they accepted them. And they didn't consult with God. They didn't seek the counsel of God. But they found out they were practically their next door neighbors. And uh, over the years, they, they, had, they suffered. Uh, they had to go and rescue them because they got attacked by their enemies. But Joshua kept his word. He did not back down. And we talked about talk a little bit about David, how he restored 
that which he took not away. In other words, the enemies demanded of him more than was necessary, but he gave into that. He gave in order to hopefully be a testimony. The Bible says in Romans that if, we, if our enemy hungers, we feed them. If they thirst, we give them drink. Um, I thought about that. I've thought about that a lot over the years. If we make a promise, now we're not supposed to swear, right? Jesus said, swear not, neither by heaven nor by the earth. Don't swear by heaven because it's God's throne. Don't swear by the earth because it's God's footstool. Don't swear by the hair of your head because you can't make it white or black. Don't swear by your stature. You know, in other words, Jesus is saying, look, we don't have control. We don't, it's, it's not wise to swear to things that we have no control over. Now in the Bible, in the Old Testament, the common phrase was, as the Lord liveth, I will do this. Well, Jesus said that's not wise. Now, in Ecclesiastes, it says, if we vow a vow to God, defer not to pay it. So don't make promises to God or anybody else. But then the Bible also says, if you forbear to vow, you haven't sinned. In other words, if you don't make vows to God, you haven't sinned. All right? Now, along with that, there are things that God's Word tells us that we need to do, that we need to commit to that and say, by the grace of God, I'm going to do this. Now, that's different than what is being said here. You know, the psalmist is talking about if you make a promise to somebody, if you promise to do something, you need to do it. And, um, and even if it hurts, even if, it, even if you lose out. Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul was rebuking the Corinthians because they were taking one another to court. And Paul said, you ought to suffer yourselves to be defrauded instead of being, being such a terrible testimony before the world. That's kind of what David's talking about here. Allow yourself to be, you know, to be defrauded. Uh, Jesus said, if somebody wants to take you to court and take away your coat, they'll have your cloak also. And in that same passage, he said, agree with thine adversary quickly. In other words, try to work things out. But we need to keep our promises. I'll tell you, people promise things all the time. Sometimes good, sometimes bad. I'll never forget, shortly after Bill Clinton became president, he made all these promises. And one night in our prayer group, my, my son Dana said, I pray that President Clinton will keep all his promises. And I kind of took him aside later and said, oh, there's promises we really don't want him to keep. <laughs> you know, there's some evil things. But that's beside, that's beside the point. We are to um, keep our word and be honest. And then... Um, number number six, we're going to see here in a minute. Um, God's promise. A promise from God. I put this in a separate category. Here's the practice. He, verse five, that putteth not out his money to usury, in other words, doesn't charge interest when he helps somebody, nor taketh reward against the innocent. Again, we may never, we never, may never be in a situation like this. This is certainly for people with money. People who lend, people who help, um, people in authority. Certainly judges could be susceptible to taking a reward. You know, rendering a guilty verdict when the person is innocent because somebody offered him money. You know, and I've heard about businessmen who claimed about, you know, having a judge in their pocket, having a senator in their pocket. They can basically do anything they want because they, they bought, they bought them off. Well, we should never, both sides, 
right? We should never try to buy anybody, nor should we ever let anybody buy us, right? We should not do that. He nor taketh reward against innocence. So that's a practice. And then the promise is, he that doeth these things shall never be moved. Okay? And the word uh, moved here he is the idea of moved is to totter, to stagger, to be shaken, to be toppled. In other words, God will keep him firmly grounded. So this is what this is the Bible explanation of honesty and integrity. I want to take a look at two more scriptures and then we're done. Psalm one, let's go there. Take, I want to see some some more promises from God. Psalm one, the first three verses. Someone says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And here's the promise. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, that bringeth forth his fruit in his season, his leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. God will bless. Right? We'll be planted. I like that word. We have, that was in Psalm 92. Planted in the house of God. Here it's planted in the word of God. And of course the two go together. Verse 4, the ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. So the ungodly are blown all over the place. They go whatever the trend is, whatever the latest current in our trend, they follow. All right, one more, one more verse passage, and that's our Matthew chapter 7. Let's go there for a minute. Matthew 7. All right, it says this, starting in verse 24. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine, and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. We could, and we could compare this, really, there's, a, there's an application here to people who come to church. That's what we're talking about tonight. People who come to church and hear the Word of God. Right? The wise are those who, they're like built, building their house upon a rock, verse 24, and the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. In other words, the rock of Christ, the rock of the Word of God. So this is about people who come in to church services and classes and Bible studies, and they really they take it in. They listen, they hear, sometimes they write things down or whatever. But when they leave, they practice. They put into practice what they're learning. Right? Because I want you to notice in verse 26 it says, Everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not. So that's the person who comes to church, comes to Bible study, whatever, and they walk out and they forget what they've heard and they never apply it. All right, what happens to them? It shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Now in verse, so you have to notice, isn't it, isn't it interesting? You've got the wise and you've got the foolish. Three things happened to these, right? They all heard, 
and they all built, and they all suffered the same adversity. But the difference is, the ones who were wise that built their life upon the rock, they weren't shaken. The ones who heard but didn't act, they, they're like building on sand, and the, when the adversities came, it blew them away. They just they couldn't stand, and their and their life was was shattered and ruined. And we 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 all know people like that, all right. They might have even made a profession of faith, but they didn't follow through. They didn't really listen. They didn't really apply the word of God. God's word did not become the guide for their life, and so they ended up in ruin. All right? We want to make sure that we're not like that. We want to be, you know, like the wise man built his house upon the rock. Remember that we we teach the kids that song. So, if we're going to follow the things that God's Word tells us, we are going to be different from our society. We're going to work differently. Um, we're going to think differently. We're going to react differently. We're going to value different things. We're going to, we're going to esteem the things of God as the most important. But if we do that, God promises to bless. All right? So God help, may God help us. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this time that we can be in thy word tonight. What a precious psalm. What, a, what an important one. And Father, this is one of so many examples where um, the word of God hits us right where we are and, and right where we live and gives us such great um, perspective and, and great direction and also great promises. We're thankful, Lord. We're thankful that you notice us and you, you, you are aware of of our often feeble attempts to serve thee and follow thee. And yet, Father, you have promised to honor those who honor thee. Help us to be like that. I just want to thank you for these few that have come out tonight on kind of a cold and nasty evening. Please bless them for it. Give safety as they travel home tonight. And watch over us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's see. What do I have for All right, 437. Let's sing a verse or two of this hymn, 437. O Master, let me walk with you. Um, these are good, really good verses. Um, these are short, so we'll, let's sing all four. We like singing one or two <coughs> of most of our hymns. But just notice the, uh, the verses, and, and verse two is especially, a, you know, just a precious, precious verse. A good, good thing to desire in our lives to, to help to reach out to others. But anyway, let's say, Oh Master, let me walk with Thee in holy paths of service free. Tell me Thy secret help me bear the strain of toil the thread of care. Help me the soul of heart to move by some clear winning word of love. Teach me the wayward feet to stay and guide them in the homeward way. Teach me thy patience still with thee. 
Let 